welcome, welcome to all of my friends, perhaps some critics, and a couple of enemies, I'm sure, as well. But welcome, nonetheless, to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. My name is Matt Boswell. I'm the host of this podcast, and this is podcast episode number 194. And today is going to be a little bit of a different type of episode. Now, before we get underway with that, you might hear a little bit of fatigue in my voice. You might see a little bit of droop in my face if you're watching. Actually, you might even notice a little bit of a change in tint because yesterday I was outside for a large portion of the day doing a lot of things. Uh, and I thought, man, what a great opportunity to finally kind of take that pale Scottish skin and get some sun and, well, I did. I got enough to actually burn me. And because I was dumb enough to go without a shirt while I was doing all of this stuff, really, my back right now is fantastically red. And so from that, I'm a little bit fatigued, a little bit tired, a little bit, uh, you know, again, just kind of crisped out a little bit. But the the podcast must go on, right? And so this is an opportunity to uh, kind of get away and just talk with all of you. And today's, like I said, is going to be different. Different than what we mostly do. So oftentimes we're picking a topic, an issue, a thing, and we're trying to figure out how we can best be everyday missionaries in the context of that. Um, but I thought, you know, there's been something on my mind and heart. My ear has been at a rail for a while on this this subject. And so I thought I would actually bring it forth in the podcast. And the way this is going to play out is basically like this is the everyday missionary my Dear Diary edition. Um, so in other words, it's like I'm going to be sharing with you kind of insights about not just me as a pastor, but I think pastors in general. And, and maybe in that, maybe to give some insights as to what pastors kind of have to process through and work through and figure out and everything else. And so it's going to be kind of a journey even in my own Reflection Certainly, it's going to be related to the last year or so, uh, but it's bigger than that. So we'll see where it goes, right? So this is incredibly non-scripted at this point. This is just a little bit more like uh, kind of birthed out of a number of things that I've been reading. So let me give you that a little bit first. Um, I don't know what your industry is or what your key hobbies are, what your responsibilities are, but usually those things that are kind of near and dear to us, we tend to notice articles or books or whatever on that topic, probably more than other things, right? Because we try to stay in tune with whatever is happening in our little corner of the world or the things that we're supposed to be responsible to. And so for me, that means I'm always reading articles as it relates to pastors, kind of what they're facing, what they're going through, what they're learning, uh, things that are working and not working in ministry, stuff like that, right? So that's kind of what that is. Well, there has been an increasing number of articles uh, that I've been looking at of pastors getting out of the ministry. Uh, and in particular, 2020 and 2021 has accelerated that. There's just a lot of pastors that are discouraged, they're fatigued, they're worn out, they're disheartened. Um, certainly some of them are actually deconstructing their faith and walking away from the faith. Uh, there's just all sorts of things that have just sort of gotten highlighted in this last 12 to 14 months. Um, but then there's things beyond that are sort of bigger things too to kind of factor in and figure out. So to give you some reference to this, um, the majority of people that start a career, let's say, let's just call it a career. I, I, I know it's a calling. I get that. But they become vocational pastors. The majority of those do not retire from ministry. So they start, but they don't finish at that place. And the numbers are a little bit uncertain, but it's somewhere between 90% 
uh, get out before retirement age, it might be as much as 75 to 80% get out. So somewhere in that margin of maybe 75 to 90% of people start a ministry, they don't end their working life vocationally in ministry. The majority get out and they get out for all sorts of reasons. They're either financially taxed, they're emotionally taxed, they're just burnt out, their family is spent, whatever it is, and they go, I'm going to go do something else else, right? So that's one thing. The other thing that's interesting, and this is just anecdotal, just from my own experiences, and I've asked some other fellow pastors as well, I've never met a person that got out that regretted getting out. So they get out and they're like, wow, there is fresh air on the other side of this thing, right? It's like, finally, life is simpler. Life is better. Most of them go into another job and they go, this was the easiest job I've ever had. This next one, the pastoring gig was hard. This job is way easier when you weigh everything out. And and so it's really interesting. And also families, when families have their, you know, their pastor dad or whatever, or pastor mom get out, the families are like, wow, this is just way better for us than what was there before. And so it's like, why is that? What, what, what drives that sense of most get out when they get out, they're really glad they got out and almost none of them come back to it. Like, what are all the things that are in there? And then you look at 2020 where there is this acceleration, more of them are getting out and it's like, well, why? And, and here's where I think is going to be then the insight here to all of this in some ways, or at least I'm hoping it can be an insight. Um, one of the things that's interesting about pastoring is you're you're taking your own personal faith and it's sort of on display right and as you then share these things that you learn or you share these things from your heart or whatever else you're putting it out there in a context where it can be encouraging or it can be criticized right either one of those things can happen and so there's a kind of a risk factor in there that you already are aware of that you know what hey depending on on what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do this is either going to be received really really well by some or it's going to be received very poorly by others and you feel this constant pressure all the time right you feel the pressure that says, you know what, there's going to be some people that just are are going to disagree with you. There's going to be some people that are going to agree with you. And you always have the burden then uh, because you care for people. Like, that's your thing. And you want people to be more like Jesus, and that's your thing. But you just know going into it, it's going to be the challenge. The other part of that is that I think sometimes as a pastor, I've shared with my wife before, I don't know what my faith would even quite look like if I were on the other side of this, right? So I, I became a pastor really young in my early 20s. I became a lead pastor at 24. And so for almost 30 years now, this is just what I've known, right? But what's weird about that is that my faith is constantly kind of processing in this realm of worrying about a congregation, thinking about people, trying to figure out how to teach the Bible to people, how to teach the Bible faithfully, even though you know sometimes what the Bible says is going to tick people off because frankly, Jesus ticks us off. We, we I'm more and more convinced, especially after 2020, that we're not as enthusiastic about Jesus as we like to think sometimes. In other words, we love to read it. We love to memorize it. We love to have a Bible study about it, but we don't really actually want to do the hard stuff of Jesus all the time because frankly, it's just kind of, countercultural to the American dream and our sense of independence and freedom and liberty and all of that. And I think that's part of that challenge that I think pastors find is that they're pastoring in an American context with a Jesus who kind of just stares that right in the face and disrupts it. And so the pastors are having to figure out, like, how do I say this? How do I communicate this? How do I push this? How do I get us along in this? And then because of that, I think weirdly enough, our personal faith as pastors 
is coupled to a public proclamation of faith. And therefore, faith isn't just allowed to be an encouragement for the pastor, but it also becomes a burden for the pastor, right? Because the, the, the burden of the faith is that you're communicating the faith and you're communicating the faith to people at all sorts of different levels, spiritually, theologically, practically. Um, and so there isn't just this, oh, my faith gives me comfort and peace and joy and purpose. But I think for a pastor, it also comes with a certain level of heaviness and responsibility and burden and, um, with that, you have to then always battle security and insecurity, or you have to battle ego or pride, pride either in the form of I'm really awesome kind of pride or pride in the form of I'm really terrible and therefore I'm insecure all the time kind of pride. Like all of those things are always kind of there, right? And then when you add into it the idea that unlike most other jobs where, you know what, what's not in the resume is your marriage or your kids. For pastors, that's specifically in the resume. Like, it's in there. You can't get around it. You see this in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, that one's family is part of the requirement of the job. So then you bring all those other burdens in too. And and so the family becomes a part of the job description. They may not have church responsibilities, but if things go wrong with the family, your job's going to be on the line. Or if your marriage goes wrong, your job's going to be on the line. So that makes it a little different than any other job. I can't think of any other job where the family's in the job description. And if the kids go sideways or the marriage goes sideways, the job goes away. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that's right. It should be the model that's there. That's the line that is and should be, but it creates another dynamic of tension that's all in there, right? So all of those things are kind of um, the stuff that I think keeps pastors awake at night, right? In fact, there was one guy I know that just resigned here recently and in his resignation speech uh, to the church or his message, I guess, because he didn't get out for any bad reason, but he, he, his first thing was, I just want a simpler faith. I just want a simpler faith. And he wasn't deconstructing. He wasn't walking away at all. He loves Jesus. That's not his thing. But it's just like he, he wanted to be able to experience faith apart from then having the responsibilities of a church and bearing the responsibilities of a church as a component of one's faith, right? Like that's kind of what's in there. And that's why I think there's this heavy loadedness sometimes that can be in the world of a pastor. Now, let me add into this now what we've gone through in the last year and why I think it's accelerating things. I mean, I think already those burdens are there enough. Like I said, when people get out, they're always glad they got out. Most of them, I, like I said, I've never met one that wanted to come back once they got out. It's like, whew, I escaped that gravity well, and that was it. Um, but the other thing that then 2020 really kind of highlighted was divided congregations over all sorts of things, right? And so first we had COVID. And within a very short amount of time, there was division. There was people in churches that were saying, we support, you know, Closed down measures, we support masks. And then there was other people saying we don't support closed down measures and we don't support masks. And so pastors were then having to figure out how to work through divided congregations, especially because a lot of the people in those congregations were all on social media together. And there was this kind of merciless stuff that would go on sometimes on social media. And pastors are reading the comments of their people and they're thinking like, wow, I thought I knew this person. But if this is reflecting what's really in their heart, I did not know this person. 
And I know for me as a pastor, as I was reading through things on social media, I would just grieve. I'm like, this is so far from Jesus. I, it doesn't even matter what side you're on in a debate. We should be a lot more like Jesus and a lot less like just people that are angry, frustrated, belittling or mockingly. It was just super strange. And so you're trying to figure out how do you, how do you navigate all of this, right? Uh, and then we had last summer with George Floyd and then all of the, the protesting that happened and some of the protesting that turned violent and everything else. And congregations were again divided, right? It was either Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter. It was kind of back the blue or black POC, back people of color. And, and and so there was that divide. And some people were saying, see, there's still systemic racism in our culture. And other people were saying, no, there's no way there's any systemic racism. There's residue with racist people, but ultimately this is all behind us. And this is just a bunch of malarkey. And so you had division there, right? And then we had the election and uh, all of the division there and the, 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 passions that were coming out between Biden and Trump. And if you're a true believer, you vote for Trump because he's pro-life. And if you don't, you're not a true believer. And, you know, there's all those kinds of things. And of course, what happened after that and, and how things were questioned. And some people were like, that's right. This was all rigged. It was stolen from the president. And other people like, no, this is so clearly not rigged. This is, he's just not believing the constitution at this point and how it operates. And then we had the whole breach of the Capitol and then people were divided about that. And, and then it was like, are you a patriot or not a patriot? And the list goes on and on and on. And then pastors are trying to figure out how do I pastor through all of that division? How do I pastor people who are just, just firing volleys across each other's shores? You know, it, it was just so crazy. And I think especially then even for me in the midst of that, it was like, what I knew is like Jesus's words speak to a lot of these things, but when the passions are there, people don't want to hear Jesus's words or they want to excuse away Jesus's words, or that can't possibly mean what it looks like. So obviously it's got to mean something else. And so now pastors had this burden to preach the truth or state the truth counsel from the Bible with people that would hold up the Bible and say, this is God's word in one breath, but then in a discussion, they'd be like, yeah, no, I don't believe it says that. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's right. No. And then there would be the quoting of the constitution or the bill of rights or some slogan of our American heritage or whatever else. And you'd be like, well, right. But the Bible says this right here. And it'd just be like, nope, doesn't matter. Matter of fact, you're making me mad because I don't want to hear that. And, and so it would just, it was just like pastors were just like, gosh, man, do I, do I preach the Bible at this point? Or do, do I just go along with whatever? Do I, don't, don't address anything. So I just look completely diplomatic the whole time. Like, what do you do? And so that weighed on pastors heavily. Now, also what kind of comes in there is pastors are human, right? And this was also one of those times where there were some pastors that rose to prominence because they were like standing against the machine and standing against the man and, you know, doing all these things. And so then it turned into, see, that's a faithful pastor. He will take on the governor. That's a faithful pastor. He'll take on the government. And, and so then other pastors like, well, then am I not faithful if I don't do this? Right. And so the, some of the people were like, you're just being cowardly. You're just bowing to, you know, the politicians or whatever else. And you're just a sheep. And I'm like, well, right. We're all sheep. Isn't that sort of what the Bible says we are? And, and so then if you didn't take the right stands or in the right way or with the right kind of intensity, then you were somehow a sellout or you just didn't have courage or you didn't see the seriousness of it. Um, and then you would be told you believe things and think things that you never said and you don't really do and you don't believe. Like I had one that was, um, I don't believe in churches getting together. I'm like, I don't believe in churches getting together. Are you kidding me? Like, 
I love churches getting together. I don't know how I can get our church together because we use a public high school on Sunday mornings. I guess we could breach the doors and just set up our gear and open our church. But if I can't break and enter a school, right, then I guess I have a problem. And so it's not that I didn't want to. It's that I couldn't, right? But no, you just, you don't believe in this. You don't believe in that, right? And so you're just always like, golly, man, just don't tell me what I think. Ask me what I think and I'll tell you. But there was just so much of that even. Like pastors were just facing, you don't do this and you don't believe that and you don't think this and you're just that. And and so I can understand why so many then were like, I'm tired. I just want to get out, right? I just want to get out. I want to escape it and just have my own personal faith and and just kind of go down the river in ignorant bliss, right? Like that would be those things that I think pastors were going through. and Or they would speak to some of these topics and try to then even be some type of middle ground in the topics, but then it was, well, now you're you're vacillating between things and you're not taking a hard stand on one thing or the other. So those are all of the things that kind of happened throughout the course of this last year that pastors had to navigate. And then, like I said, they had to read their people's commentary on social media and and see what they didn't realize was there before and, and how I think even 2020 exposed a lot of... Um, the brokenness within evangelicalism, um, which is certainly something that's been on this podcast for a while, at least for me, is that I think there's just a cancer in the bones of evangelicalism and 2020 heightened all of that. And 2021, it kind of just brought out that evangelicalism is, I think it struggles to apply living like Jesus in American culture. Like it's a part of the culture now. Like evangelicalism is a part of the political culture. It's a part of the nomenclature of our society. Um, but it, it it's not always easy to see how it wants to be like Jesus or how it sounds like Jesus or it labors to be like Jesus. Like I remember even in my own thinking going into 2020 or going into COVID, for example, I thought, man, this is our moment. This is where Christians are going to show we're servants. We're here to help out. We're here to be an encouragement. We're not going to show fear because we know God's in control. We're not going to show fear of COVID and we're not going to show fear of the economy um, because you know what? We Jesus is so super clear about not worrying about money, not worrying about those things. Rather, we're just going to do what Leviticus tells us. We're going to love our neighbor, right? Because that's just like the easiest thing to do. Um, and so I really did. I went in thinking like Christians are going to be awesome during this time. And we're going to be super helpful during this time. And we're going to be the ones that people can look at and be like, wow, these people are chill. Why are they so chill? Must be their faith. What does that look like? But that's not how it played out. It's like as the year went on, it was just like, man, some of our worst inclinations and impulses kind of rose to the surface. And we were... Talking about, you know, again, I'm not fearful of the disease, but I'm fearful of the economy. And I'm like, why are you fearful of the economy if you're a Christian? Jesus has been very, very clear about money, like even more than disease. Like you'd be like, yeah, you should be worried about disease, but you should not worry about money. But we sounded so worried about money. Like that was a big thing and we needed to get that back on track at all costs, you know. And and then there was a lot of talk of, well, this only affects the elderly and those with underlying conditions. And it was said, like, this is why we shouldn't close up shop. This is dumb. It just affects old people and sick people. And and I'm like, if you're not a Christian, I totally get that rationale. But as Christians saying that, I thought, we've spent decades lamenting how younger generations don't respect uh, the elderly. And then we were literally making statements of, well, they're just old. They're going to die anyway. I mean, it was like that. I'm like, 
how is this helpful? Or the fact that we're pro-life so often and we're like, man, we need to care about the, the weakest and sickest among us. But now it was like, oh, well, it's just going to affect weak and sick people. And so there was just kind of a casualness at times in how these things would be said and done that just lacked kind of an empathy or a compassion or a helpfulness. And then, of course, with the political stuff that went on, it just so became like bizarro land because, again, as Christians, we are to be something other than our world. And we are to model a thing to the world, the kingdom and its values in a way that people go like, oh, I, I, I see Jesus and all of that. But we just sounded so political and almost out of fear. Like we had this thing of like, we, we need to make sure that this is how this goes down. Otherwise, we're doomed as Christians. Our religious liberties and our religious rights are going to be squashed and everything else. And I'm like, but Jesus talks about this. You know, he talks about, hey, man, you just do the right thing. You do good to those who do evil to you. You love your enemy, even if they want to punch you in the face. Like, this is what you do. And instead, there was just these real hard lines drawn. And so all the way around, at least for me, going through that whole year, I found myself at times really arguing with God. And I I was like, Jesus, I got to be honest. Like, you you make all these statements about how you're going to put a peace in your people, your church, you're going to give us a courage and a confidence. You're going to give us a spirit that's filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You know the whole list. Uh, we have all of this power for life and godliness, everything else to help us to be truly different in the world. And and as I was looking, I'm like, I don't see that in wide scale right now. I'm not saying it wasn't, you know, at any point. I, I, there were certainly people, pockets and places where I was seeing really amazing, beautiful things. And many people even in our church that I think really just were, were doing a wonderful job of, of really doing it the way Jesus would have them do it. Um, but I remember just thinking like, if, if the evidence of Jesus is an empowered church that lives out the Sermon on the Mount, if that's evidence of Jesus, I'm not seeing it. And so it was almost like, man, Jesus, if, if, if we are so different, why aren't we different? And is it that we're not really that different because at the end of the day, this isn't empowered by you. This is just empowered by us. Is this just religion or is it spirit endowed life transformation? And so there was some dark days I had last summer in particular where I was just like, I don't, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Like the Jesus move seems so obvious on so many things. And it seems like that's not the thing that's being seen as much. Or when we try to reinforce it, there's a pushback. Like, how dare you quote Jesus like that? Cause that can't be what it means. Cause I'm busy being mad about something. And so, so as a pastor, then you're just constantly all the time feeling the weight and the burden of how do you course correct this? How do you lovingly confront it? How do you challenge some of the broken thinking? How do you do this? And at the same time, how do you deal with your own kind of struggling internals at that point? Because again, you're just seeing kind of the world's on fire and you don't even know where to grab the hose sometimes, right? It was just kind of like that. So very strange all the way around. And and so now I'm coming out the other side and and trying to almost like go like, okay, what was learned and what needs to be different and how can we do this better and what happens with the next pandemic and how can we get ourselves ready as Christians to be really like Jesus in the next emergency uh, and less sounding like, you know, again, we're just put out by the fact that the world is not going the way we want it because that seems to me to be really what the essence of Christianity is all about, which is you're so connected to Christ. You're so contented in him um, that the world doesn't have to cooperate. 
for us to to do well. The world doesn't have to give us what we want for us to succeed in the mission that he has for us. I mean, this is what I think about with Paul again in Philippians 4, where he's like, man, I'm content. I'm content when I have nothing or everything, right? I'm like, that's that thing that we're to get to, but how do we get to that? And And so I think for me, it just went back to what the world most needs to see, what I as a pastor most need to push is, again, the stuff we see in the Sermon on the Mountain, Sermon on the Plain, right? Like, that's the thing that makes us different. And um, that was the thing that I think, at least for me as a pastor and talking with other pastors, we struggled to see through 2020. It was like, we all, I think this is where we all felt we failed. Like, I, I, I think pastors felt like, you know, we've been doing a good job of getting traction to see a kingdom community um, to be there for the the serving of the world around us. We thought we had done a good job getting us ready for that. And then when things started to fall apart, it was like almost all, all of those sermons were, were forgotten or lost. Not for everybody, I get that. But just to some degree, that's the way I think for pastors it felt. So then it was like, gee whiz, man, like I, I guess I didn't get us up and ready for this like I was hoping to. And then you add into the fact that as you're watching it unfold, you're still trying to course correct it and help it. And then you're kind of getting the pushback. And so at some point, you're just tempted to just give up and be like, forget it, I'm going to put my head down and I'm not going to even try. I'll wait till the other end and see who's left standing, right? And I think some pastors certainly did that. But I think others really tried to speak into the things biblically. And in doing that, they got a lot of grief for it. And then others, they they joined the 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 kind of the holler, and and they kind of had that revolt mentality, um, and that emboldened other people to kind of just again criticize their pastors for not being like that. And so at the end of the day, I go, I have no question why pastors are wanting to get out. I get it, right? It's all that stuff combined that I think pastors have to struggle through and and wade through. Um, Now, does that mean that pastors don't like their job then? No, that doesn't necessarily mean that. I I think part of it is they're so uh, bound to and invested in what they do. It's so much a part of their life that I think that's in part what the burden is. It's one of those jobs that you're not allowed to not like and keep, right? Not technically. In other words, you you can work for Bank of America. You can work for a local contractor. You can work for any number of things and you can hate your job and that's okay because you're just there to make money and if it pays you well, that's okay. You can hate it. But if a pastor hates his job, then it's a train wreck. It's going to be a complete mess. So in the midst of all of that, pastors still must maintain a sense of loving their job, loving the responsibilities, not loving everything about it, not loving it every day all the time, because that's not going to be realistic, but they still have to do that so that their heart doesn't turn on their people and they don't start to want to punish their people uh, because of their fatigue or the frustration, but rather they want to continue to love and shepherd their people um, through greater maturity, right? Growing on to greater things. And for for authentic Christianity, maturity is not more information. It's not more knowledge. It's not another theology class or Bible study. Maturity is, is being like Jesus. I mean, that's at its core. Maturity is to be like Jesus. So would Jesus say that? Would Jesus respond in that way? Would Jesus push that issue? Would Jesus make us think about this thing? What would Jesus do and say and how would he think and act and be? Like, that's the place we all need to get to and grow to, right? Pastors and people alike, right? We all need to do that. And I think once we start to get that more and more figured out and and, and it's less about 
our lives or our comforts or, um, again, just our, our, our own personal priorities. And instead we say, man, it's seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And then he's going to take care of everything else. Like when that happens, man, that'll be a sweet spot for the church. Right. And I think it'll be a place where the church then can in fact serve the community around it, uh, and love the community around it and, and sacrifice for the community around it such that, the community then sees the beauty and work of Jesus in his church and his people. And from that, they're maybe inclined to follow as well. So, um, don't know what to make of this whole thing. Like I said, it's dear diary, you know, but I, I thought it would just give an insight to maybe what, what pastors faced, why maybe so many pastors don't stay. Um, I'm not going anywhere, by the way, just for redemption church. I love you guys. Um, but it was a long year, you know, and, and I think a long year for a lot of pastors. And um, so certainly we solicit your prayers. Uh, also, um, we always love questions. You know, like I said, I, I've had so many people over the years, you know, like they get mad and they leave and they send an email and they, they tell you what you think but they didn't ask you what you think, you know? So anytime that happens, just ask, right? Just, I think pastors are okay with that. Some get defensive, I get it, but you know, um, assumptions are always a terrible business, you know? And, and sometimes we assume the worst in one another. I do the same thing. I, I'm just as guilty as anybody. Um, but it's always good to ask, get clarity, right? It, sometimes we as pastors, we're just wrong, right? And if you go, hey, you said this, you did this, what does this all mean? Hey, maybe it gives me a chance to confess. It gives me a chance to repent. It gives me a chance to change. Like maybe it was just something I, I didn't realize, uh, that kind of thing. So, so many things, right? But uh, hopefully this gives you a little bit of a glimpse uh, into uh, pastor life, uh, my dear diary, if you will. And, uh, from that, you know, all the more how to maybe be praying for your pastors, right? Whether the ones at Redemption Church or any other pastors you know of, uh, they certainly can use your prayers. M- most pastors are really just awesome people. You know, they they really are. They're, they're, they're trying to do their best and they're trying to be faithful to it. I think sadly, unfortunately, sometimes the most successful ones, they're a little bit of a different breed. It's partly why they're successful because they're a little bit of a different breed. Um, but the average, you know, church size and church pastor, I, I think they're all trying to figure out how to really honor Jesus in the process of what they do. Uh, and they're going to fail at it because they're all too human in the same vein. Um, but they want to make much of Jesus. And I think that's always going to have to be the goal again. Our mission, our objective is always, would Jesus do this? Would Jesus say this? What did Jesus say about this? And what does he want me to do in regard to that? So that is kind of the spirit of what it's all about. And that is the spirit of what makes for an everyday missionary.